0: it's not because of us but it is Christ through us and it's to him we hold we we love you father we thank you for your son and for what he has accomplished and I pray that our boast would be in Christ and that we would find our hope our security in him and that we would daily want to come and commune with him I pray this in Jesus name amen you may be seated I just want to remind you, I know you already know this, but we are not perfect on this stage. And lest you think that Andrew was just goofing off while ago, which he often does, but in case you think he was just goofing off, one of the strings broke on his guitar. I don't know if you could see it. And so he had to switch out guitars in the middle of the set. Um, there's always a backup, and so thankful he was ready. This is one of my uh, fears. I preach with an iPad And one of my fears is that one day that iPad is not going to open and I won't have any of my notes. And so you may not know it, but there is a printed copy of my notes under this pulpit every Sunday in case that happens. Uh, I've never had to use them, but they're there just in case. So if you have your Bibles, open them and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to finish out this chapter this morning. It's been a great chapter, um, and I'm excited about how Luke chooses to finish it. Uh, Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read there in just a moment. Before I read that text, uh, I just want to kind of set it up this way. It is a rare week at our house uh, over in Colonial Oaks if you don't hear my wife instructing one of our kids, typically it's the youngest one whose name will go unmentioned. She will say something like, look at my eyes. All right, look at my eyes. Typically, That directive is being given because the attention of the unnamed guilty party is consumed by some device, some screen, and nothing that my wife is saying is being heard. I'm sure that never happens at your house. I know that we're the only ones that have to deal with it. But when one of our kids hears those words, look at my eyes, they understand, uh uh-oh, I've been distracted. I'm not listening to what mom's saying, so I better listen or this isn't going to go well. And so they look up and then they hear the instructions and now they're positioned to act on those instructions. Okay. This morning, we're going to look at a pair of sisters and learn what Jesus says about distractions and the impact that those have on our discipleship. All right? It's almost as though Jesus is saying, look at my eyes. All right, all right. Follow along. In Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, this Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Great story. Wonderful, instructive passage from our Lord. Now, before we jump into the details of this particular story, it is important to know that Luke does not write his gospel with the same chronological precision as do Matthew and Mark. Luke is more concerned about developing his theme, uh, and he will at times be ambiguous about the exact timing of the event. That's not as important to him as the theological outline that he's trying to to form. Such is the case with this story. Okay, so It says here that Jesus is entering a village, a village we know, by the way, is Bethany from other parts of the scripture. Bethany is only a few miles away uh, from Jerusalem. But given the fact that Jesus doesn't appear in Jerusalem for quite some time, it is unlikely that Jesus has made a trek from the north down to Bethany, back up to the north, and then into Jerusalem. So Luke is not necessarily putting this in chronological order as much as he is developing his theological argument, okay? So... Why does Luke include this account of Martha and Mary right here? It is because Luke is laying out what we call a chiasm. Do you know what a chiasm is? Uh, A chiasm, this is at the end of chapter 10. A chiasm is a literary structure uh, that arranges ideas in a specific pattern and they form a symmetry. Okay, let me show you this so you understand what Luke is doing. Glance back up to verse 27, if you have your Bibles. Verse 27 says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so right there, there are two commands. Loving God is first, and then loving neighbor is second. Okay, Now, if you were here with us last week, we looked at the parable there that follows verse 27. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Luke says, this is how Jesus wants you to love your neighbor, by showing indiscriminate mercy even to those who hate you. So that story, the Good Samaritan, corresponds to the second command from verse 27, love your neighbor. Next, Luke says, this is how Jesus wants you to love him. This is how he wants you to love God. And so he tells the story of Martha and Mary. This corresponds to the first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay. We end up with symmetry. So it says, love God, love your neighbor, This is how you love your neighbor. This is how you love God. Okay, you see that symmetry? Love God, love neighbor. Good Samaritan, this is how you love your neighbor. Martha and Mary, this is how you love God. It's called a chiasm. That's why Luke lays it out the way he does. Why is this so important? This is really important for you to understand because Luke wants to put up a safeguard after the parable of the good Samaritan he wants to put up a safeguard against any of his readers coming under the misapprehension that ongoing salvation is somehow by works so he's going to say you do works but that's not how you're saved that's not what it means to 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 love God uh, Luke is making the point in this next passage that waiting for the Lord Is more important than bustling busyness. Okay? That's crucial for us to understand. Because I know some Christians today who get the impression. That once you are saved, now you just need to work for the Lord. You need to be busy in the church. You need to be involved in every group. You need to be involved in every project, every mission, every activity. And if you aren't doing all those things, somehow you are not Christian enough. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying involvement in the church is bad. Of course it's not. Involvement in the church is a good thing. But don't confuse busyness for the Lord with discipleship. Those are not the same thing. Don't confuse busyness for the Lord with discipleship. Because before we can represent Christ, we must first, and we just sang about this, take time to be holy. Discipleship is crucial. It always comes first. Okay, so let's see how Jesus lays out this difference for us. Okay. As I mentioned, Jesus and his disciples are entering Bethany. It's a small village. It's on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. So we're only a few miles away from Jerusalem. And there in this little town of Bethany, there are two sisters, Martha and Mary, They live with their brother, Lazarus. He's not mentioned here in this story. And they live together in Bethany. And Jesus has become friends with this sibling group. Really good friends, actually. He spends a lot of time there. Verse 38, if you want to glance back down there, seems to suggest that this is Martha's home. This is Martha's house, it says. So maybe, we don't know for sure, but maybe Martha is the oldest of these siblings or maybe this was her house and she's now widowed and so it's come to be under her possession. We don't know for sure, but at any rate, she has invited Jesus to come to her house as an honored guest. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment especially those in our room, maybe some of you ladies who are especially good at hosting people in in your house. Let me ask you a few questions. How do you prepare a meal for one who can turn water into wine? How do you prepare food for one who can feed 5,000 men plus women and children with just five loaves and two fish. How are you going to do that? How are you going to cater a meal to one who specifically said, don't be anxious about what you eat or drink? How are you going to do that? How do you make a meal for such an honored guest? Several years ago, Greta and I got to go out to Oregon where I was asked to come preach at a church. And, and while we were there, one of the days we went to this dear lady's house for lunch. I kid you not. She admitted to us that she'd begun cooking the day before uh, we got there. This table was laid out immaculately there. The napkins were all folded. She had assigned places for us to sit. There was China, she had multiple forks and knives, the spread of food there was everything. It was so unbelievably delicious. We ate and ate and ate until we were absolutely stuffed and it didn't even look like we had made a dent in what she had prepared and she had more that she wanted to bring out. And I'm just as lowly pastor from Florida. Can you imagine if Jesus was coming to your house? How would you get ready for that? What kind of preparations would that take, right? And it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus and at least 12 other people, all of his disciples. There might have been more accompanying him at this time. This is no small task. The last thing that Martha wants to do is to, for him to show up and she prepares some meal that's bland, it doesn't have enough salt in it, that doesn't taste good, or she runs out of food, and so the stakes are really, really high for Martha and she's, she's feeling the pressure of this and she's pedal to the metal. It is all the way in. She's preparing all this food and the flour is flying and everything's And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. (laughs) Unbelievable, right? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine the growing frustration that Martha had every time she looked out of the kitchen door and into the living room and she sees Mary just sitting there while she's back here slaving. I can imagine the the thoughts are starting to go through her mind. She's probably sitting there saying, are you serious? Do you even have a remote possibility of self-awareness about yourself right now, Mary? Look at my eyes. Look over here. And there sits Mary, she's smiling, having a great time, she's content, she's happy, she's intrigued by her Lord, completely oblivious to the whirring sound of the mixer back there. I bet Martha's just taking the oven door and just slamming it, trying to get her attention. I should point out that Mary sitting here at the feet of Jesus and listening to him is noteworthy in and of itself. This is unheard of in these days. Women were supposed to only be carrying out domestic duties and only men were supposed to be learning and asking theological questions. But not with Jesus. Jesus. He very much welcomed women to learn about himself, to ask questions, to be one of his disciples. Men and women alike were called to be his followers. And husbands, let me just speak to you a bit this morning. As a husband, you are called to lead your home. You are called to set the pace for what it means to follow Jesus, to be learning from him, to be growing in your maturity, to be a man of God. But you are also to be encouraging your wife to do the same. You are called to encourage her to know the Lord as well. Jesus welcomes her to him as intimately as he welcomes you. And if she wants to grow in her theological understanding and discipleship, don't be intimidated by that. Encourage that. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Learn along with her. Together, you mature into faithful Christ followers. Don't hold her back. Jesus didn't. Further, I would also encourage you as husbands, Make your home a place where theological discussions happen uh, frequently and without awkwardness. It's just a normal thing that we talk about the Lord. We talk about God in this house. I'm still growing in that area of my life. uh, But notice here that Jesus is giving a sermon in their home. This isn't awkward for Mary. She thinks this is great. He's sitting right there. When you have friends over to your house... Try to steer the conversation to the things of the Lord, not just coffee and cards. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be wooden. It doesn't have to be awkward. Just weave it into the conversation. There's a commentator, an old commentator named Matthew Henry. Some of you might own his commentaries. He says this A good sermon is never the worse for being preached in a house. And. The visit of our friends should be so managed as to make them turn to a spiritual advantage. Just ask the question, how are you doing? Oh, it's fine. We're do- no, really, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? That's a great way to start that conversation. How can I pray for you? Here sits Mary. She's listening She's engaging. She's growing, enjoying the teaching. And Martha is getting increasingly annoyed until it finally reaches a boiling point. Verse 40 Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to Jesus. She's finally had it, comes out of the kitchen, comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, Do you not care then that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to come help me. Martha has become a Karen. Sorry if your name is Karen, if you know what that means. Martha has had enough. She's lost it. She's come up to the Lord and she has said to him, this do nothing attitude of my sister has got to stop she goes straight to the top all the way to the boss he's the guy in charge i'm going to go talk to him i'm going to go to address jesus and when she shows up she doesn't just address jesus she lays into jesus something unthinkable in our minds right she tells him what she thinks aren't you going to do something Do you have any idea what's happening over here in this other room? Can you tell my sister to get off her lazy bum and come help me? Can you imagine talking to your creator as though he has no idea what's going on? If it weren't so serious, it would be laughable. It's kind of like when I tell my kids to empty the dishwasher and they fight for so long over who's going to do it that it could have totally been done uh, by the time they're done fighting. And all the time they're fighting, I hear, Dad, he's not doing enough. Dad, she's not helping. Dad. And you finally, you just say, enough, right? You know what else makes this funny? What I think is funny anyway. Instead of talking to Mary herself, Jesus talks to Mary through Jesus. Right? It's kind of a... Uh, what do you call that, a sub tweet? She's like trying to address Mary, but she's going through Jesus. Think about it like this. If you're a parent and you've ever had another kid sit with your kids in church and that other kid is being loud and you turn to your kid and you say, shh, be quiet. And your kid looks at you like, what, I'm not even doing anything, right? I know you're not doing anything. I want that kid to be quiet. So I'm telling you so that he hears, right? That's what Martha's doing here. She doesn't go after Mary. She takes her fight to Jesus, expecting him to side with her and use his authority to shame Mary into the kitchen. What's the problem? The problem is that Martha is trying to serve two masters. Jesus is her master, true. But there's another master, her meal, that has taken over first place. Warren Wiersbe says, If serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. Let that sink in for a moment. If serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. Martha has taken her eyes off of Jesus and she's concerned about worldly values. Does she need to cook a meal? Yeah, I mean, yes, she does need... They have to eat something. But to neglect Jesus for the sake of an elaborate meal that he did not need is the problem. You see, Martha was far more concerned about what she did for Christ than what she did with Christ. She believed that working for him instead of spending time with him was more important. And she needed to be corrected. In verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things. Jesus repeats her name as a way of trying to calm the situation, make her pause long enough to consider what's happening. And he says to her, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled. That word anxious there uh, in the original, means to have a divided mind. It means that your mind is going in a lot of different directions at the same time. You're anxious. You have a divided mind. We see that word show up in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, there's the word, about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Somebody with an anxious mind is somebody who's going multiple directions simultaneously. They're worried about this. They're concerned about that. The unknown about this situation is driving them crazy. What's going to happen with this is keeping them up at night. Their mind is going like this. That's Martha. She has a divided mind. She's anxious. And she's also, Jesus says, troubled. Literally, the word means noise, turmoil, or rioting. Her mind is filled with noise. Now, that might have been happening actually if... If there's timers going off in the in the kitchen, or there's pots and pans clanging around, maybe. Uh, but figuratively, it means that her mind is in a riot. It's at war in there. It's all troubled about what's happening out there. Let me ask you a question: Is that your mind this morning? Are you sitting here? and you're trying to listen to me but your mind is who knows where it's it's out there maybe you've maybe you have, you've, you're facing a difficult day of school coming up this week maybe you're dreading this conversation that you know is getting ready to happen with a friend or a sibling and, and that's just running over and over maybe your empty bank account is just screaming at you right now Maybe there's a lot of things happening. And if you're being honest, you would say, I want to be here, Sean. I really want to be here. But I'm honestly not hearing a word that you're saying because I have a hundred other masters warring for first place in my mind right now. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Is that you? Your Savior knows. So what's the solution? Just stop it. Just stop. Just stop being anxious. Well, I wish it were that easy. I wish that we could just do everything like that. Why? Why didn't we think of that before? Just stop your anxious brain. No. What does Jesus say to distracted Martha? Look what He says in verse forty-two. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Only one thing is necessary, Martha. One thing. What is it? Look in my eyes. Look in my eyes, Martha. Sit here at my feet, listen to me, and find that I am your steadfast rock. Listen to my words. Mary's not stirred up at all. Why? Because she's looking at me. If you are a person given to anxiety and given to worry and given to distraction, chances are, this isn't always true, but chances are you are not spending much time at the feet of Jesus. What do you mean? One of the first questions that I ask if I'm counseling somebody who's dealing with anxiety or or worry is how much time do you spend each day in your devotions? Almost 10 out of 10 times the answer is none. No time in God's word. No time spent listening to Jesus, hearing his reassuring words of comfort and protection why not? Well, who has time for that? Who has time? I've got a million other things that I need to do today. Who has time to sit down and read God's word? Well, listen to what David says in Psalm 27. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, I want you to know that fear often accompanies anxiety. They're they're synonyms most of the time. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And listen to this. Though an army... In camp around, against me, talk about opportunity for anxiety and worry and fear. What does David say? My heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, I will be confident. Why? How? How do you do it, David? Well, listen what he writes next. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after. Here's the one thing that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at his temple. Does that mean that you and I should just plan to sit here in the sanctuary? Is that what he's talking about? I'm just going to dwell at the church. That'll take away. No. It was at the temple where the scrolls of God were kept. It was at the temple where you could read the law of God, the comforting presence of God. God. And when David went to the temple and when he read the word, what did he discover? Next verse. God will hide me in the shelter, in his shelter, in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. David's mind was protected from division by this one thing. Feasting on the words of God. When he went to the word, he discovered that God was with him. He's not alone. He doesn't have to face this world alone. He doesn't have to face the giant alone. God himself is acting on his behalf. Therefore, he doesn't have to fear. There's another pair of verses that should be so precious to you. If you have an anxious heart, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, listen to me. That is the doing part. It says, don't be anxious, here's what you do, you pray. But there's a being part, there's a presence part that's mentioned in the phrase right before this. At the end of verse 5, here's the energizing cause for calmness. Philippians 4, verse 5, the Lord is at hand. When I come to the feet of Jesus and I open his word in my daily devotions, I discover something the Lord is at hand. The Lord is with me. He's never left me. And he promises me that he will hide me in his shelter. He's promised me that he will provide me all that I need in life. So I I seek this first. And when I do, I begin praying to him and I find that my anxious heart is calmed. Mary got this. She came to Jesus as her Lord. She saw him as the greatest treasure because he would give her himself. And when you come to Jesus, just know that what Jesus gives you himself can never be taken away from you. That's what Jesus says right here, at the end of verse 42. You can chase all kinds of things in this life. None of them will bring calmness to your soul except Jesus. And he says, Come, sit at my feet, learn from me. Set aside your task, set aside your works, set aside your doing and just come spend time with me. Friend, let me challenge you this morning. In all of your doing, even if it's Christian things, even if it's Christian things for the church, in all of your doing, Do you spend time with Jesus, just him, every day? Do you even bother to open his word? Because this, Luke says, is how we love God. This is the chiasm. This is how you love God. You spend time with him. And if you are not loving God by first being a disciple, then all of those efforts that you make at doing all of those things won't be fulfilled at their maximum. You won't be able to do it with maximum results. You'll try harder. You'll do more. You'll give more effort. But it becomes this downward cycle of discourage, uh, discouragement. Just stop doing for a moment and just be with Jesus. Well, I don't know where to start, Sean. Sean. I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't understand the Bible. I don't like to read. Well, there's all kinds of reasons why you wouldn't do it. Let me just give you some suggestions. Start small. Ten minutes. Start your day. Ten minutes. Pick a book of the Bible that's not one of the more difficult ones. Don't jump into Leviticus or Ezekiel right off the bat. Pick one that's a little bit easier. Buy a commentary or a study Bible. I'll give you some suggestions on ones that you could get. Buy a study Bible so you're reading and you're understanding it. It's worth the investment. Listen to the Bible. If you don't like to read, listen to the Bible. Most of you have the Bible app on your phones. It'll read it for you. When I was in Indiana, there was this elderly man uh, in our church, and he was blind, completely blind, Um, but he was determined to be in God's word. And so he purchased the Bible on CDs. This was before uh, all this stuff was on devices. He, he purchased the Bible on CDs and he memorized the buttons on the remote so that he could operate the CD player uh, and he could hear God's word every morning by CD. Now listen, if an 80-year-old blind man can get in God's word, You can do. You can do it. You can do it. Come talk to me. I'll help you figure it out. I'm not going to judge you. It's okay. Come say, man, I'm not not in God's word. Okay. Thank you for admitting that. Now let's go. Let's figure out what we're going to do. I'll help you. Get you started. You got to start somewhere, right? Choose the good portion. It's worth the investment. You'll never regret it. Chapter 10 ends with Luke not telling us how Martha responded to Jesus' rebuke. I I don't... But we know from the book of John that she learned her lesson. How do we know? Because two of the most marvelous professions of faith found in Scripture are going to come from the heart and lips of this woman, Martha. In John chapter 11, verse 21, Martha said said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But listen to what she says. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And just a few verses later, John 11, verse 27, same woman, Martha, says to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And in the very next chapter of the book of John, in John chapter 12, Martha, same lady, Martha, prepares a feast for Jesus For the 12, for her brother and her sister, there were at least 15 people there at all. And in John chapter 12, she does not utter one word of complaint. She's learned between Luke 10 and John 12 to sit at the feet of Jesus. Friends, distractions will derail your discipleship. And you've probably heard this saying often in Christian circles, but it's a good one to remember. In a world filled with Marthas, be a Mary. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. How? By fixing your mind on your Lord. The one who would give himself to be your ransom to die on a cross for you. Let him be your good portion every day, starting today and for the rest of your life. Let's stand and pray. I thank you, Father, that you call us to act on your behalf, to do things on your behalf, and we joyfully do that. We would do anything for you in exchange for what you've done for us in in, in response to that. But Father, I pray that in all our doing, we would not de- neglect just being with you, just cultivating that relationship with you. And I pray that we would find that the greatest delight of our day are the minutes or maybe even hours that we spend with you in your word listening to you talk to us through your word responding back to you in prayer bringing you all of our anxious thoughts all of our concerns and finding that you and you alone bring us calmness because you are at hand you're with us And as we look into your eyes, we see the most loving, gracious, kind, compassionate Savior who says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so we walk alongside of you the rest of our day, carrying out whatever it is you want us to do, because you're energizing that. You're, You're helping us. Father, we want to love our neighbor, but first and foremost, we do want to love you. So help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.